our work is meant to have purpose, it's meant to give us fulfillment, it's meant to serve others. And I really took that thought process step further and said, okay, as women, how do we show up differently than men in our work? And the answer for me is through the feminine genius. Women's femininity defines her entire existence. It's not just a characteristic that she can turn it off, on and off. We bring our femininity and our feminine genius into every aspect of our lives. How can we reconcile the tension that exists between the need to create boundaries and living an integrated life? How does this dynamic impact working women, specifically those who are also called to motherhood? In this week's episode, wife, mother, and CEO of Ringlet Studio, Elise Gallagher, shares how vulnerability, authenticity, and community can nourish relationships while facilitating a better business. Just talk. Women just want to talk and feel heard and feel like they're not alone. It's really difficult to have so much on your plate and feel like you're the only one who is not getting a quote, quote, right and is trying to figure out how to make it all happen. When we are more vulnerable, when I'm vulnerable with clients, when I'm vulnerable with my team, it gives everyone permission to bring their full selves to work and to the conversation. Managing the many facets of our lives is hard, but as Christians, we're called to bear this cross and through it, find the authenticity and joy of a deeply integrated Christian life. This is Living the Call. Elise Gallagher, welcome to the show. Hi, Deacon Charlie. I am so thrilled to be here. And it is Gallagher, right? I got that right. Because I know is. you, I, at one point when we met, I think you were still your maiden, but uh, yes. it's been a minute. Yes. <laughs> is that, by the way, curiously, is that something that comes up a lot in sort of, uh, you know, female executive travels is like yes, your kind I, of the whole maiden distinction? I did. I kept Crawford Gallagher for a while, for actually about five years after getting married. And I've started slowly to drop Crawford and just go by Gallagher. Just go by Gallagher, mm-hmm. not doing the hyphenated thing. It's funny that <laughs> no. I, I literally just got two weeks ago, I got back from um, doing a, a speaking uh, thing at uh, the Young Catholic Professionals out in Dallas. Oh, yes. And my entire uh, talk was about living in the hyphen. <laughs> was this idea of like living a Catholic, an integrated Catholic life, which I'm sure is going to come up in this conversation. Definitely. But there's something of that, of equivalent nature and the whole hyphenated last name. In a way, it's actually really beautiful. You know, some people kind of poo-poo it, right? This idea of having a hyphenated name, like, why don't you just be more traditional and take your husband's name? Mm -hmm. But if you really live that hyphen, you're kind of saying exactly what the sacrament is, right? Which is this kind of union of two things to create something new. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And as you talked about, um, just professionally, it was helpful to have a transition time, you know, so clients and colleagues knew that I had gotten married and it was the same, yeah, same person. Yeah. There is some logistics involved in that, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you don't, th- men don't think about that often. It's like, wait a minute, my LinkedIn <laughs> profile. I mean, people right. get upset that changed their cell phone number. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. oh my gosh, <laughs> it's yep. like a fingerprint or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but Elise, it's it's really great to to have you on the show. Um, we've Thank had a couple you. of conversations. Yeah, no, it's great to have you. Um, we've had a couple of conversations, and there's so much that I think is interesting about the way that you kind of look at the world and what you do. And you know, obviously, people can find out about you. Right, this show is, and as I've told you before, is really about helping people discover really interesting people. And so, people will find out about you. And we can talk about obviously the work that you do. But I think, like as a starting point, I thought it was really interesting in doing a little bit of due diligence on you <laughs> and the fact that when you founded a Catholic women in business, one of the kind of missions I thought was a really interesting jumping off point, And that was business as a vehicle mm. for evangelization and renewal in the church. And it's something like I'm on about quite a bit, but I don't know that <laughs> we often like take that as a sort of mission field invitation that it is. Mm. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. So I started Catholic women business with my co-founder, Emma Moran, in 2018. And the reason we started it was because we felt like we needed a home within the church. We felt like we couldn't really connect with the women who were in the secular world, that which is where we were working within, who were not practicing Catholics. We had great friends and great colleagues, but we just couldn't connect with them on that faith level. And then in our pews at our parishes on Sunday, we also had great friends who were stay-at-home moms, but they couldn't exactly relate to our inability to not get, you know, our, our inability to get together at 
uh, Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. because we had calls and meetings and weren't able to make that time work. So we decided to create a community where women were really focused on growing their vocation in business. And Mm. we really strive to provide Catholic women owners, business owners, executives, entrepreneurs with the educational and spiritual resources that they need to excel in that vocation. And we really like to emphasize that work can look different. Business can look different for women at different stages of life. We have people in our community who are working part-time, full-time in the home, out of the home. And sometimes they are taking a break from their vocation of business to figure out their next step. Um, Women in business is a very welcoming community and it's been very exciting to see it grow. Well, it's interesting too, by the way, obviously like you know, very basic definition of entrepreneur is see the market gap and fill it, right? So that's definitely what you did. But I'm curious, you use the word vocation there. Do you think that work is viewed as part part of or a a vocation to begin with? Like what's the the understanding or misunderstanding about that? Mm. My thought process with this really began studying Michael Novak. And that thought process was continued by Andreas Widmer, who is the president of Sioka Center at the Bush School at the Catholic University of America. And what these two men describe is that as Catholics, we are first called to love God, right? That's our first vocation. The secondary vocation is whether we're lay people or religious or priests. And then we go into our work vocation. So how we live out that call to love God and others. And they do a beautiful job of really explaining how that vocation to work really is a vocation. It's a vehicle, as you mentioned before, to loving God and loving others. Our work is meant to have purpose. It's meant to give us fulfillment. It's meant to serve others. And I really took that thought process step further and said, okay, as women, how do we show up differently than men in our work? And the answer for me is through the feminine genius. Women's femininity defines her entire existence. It's not just a characteristic that she can turn it off, on and off, um, but we bring our femininity and our feminine genius into every aspect of our lives. We don't compartmentalize. Uh, we want to live an integrated lifestyle. And so that is how I see the vocation of business playing out for women. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, too, because the feminine genius, right, which is something that's deeply rooted in a Catholic, you know, anthropology and sense of the world is also something that, you know, in and of itself is, um, you know, such a startling sort of claim, right, in in many ways. And startling by, by that, I mean that this sort of attribution of genius to a particular one of the sexes, right? Um, mm. But it's very defined as as a as a kind of teaching of the church, if not an evolving one, right? Probably in the context of everything that we're talking about with work and everything else. But I find it like it's such an accessible way to explain things in today's world, in today's culture, mm. where there's a lot of this, you know, trying to um, ascribe some type of power to femininity or some type of um, additional attributes to femininity as a way of making some a type of political or social point. And yet we have this amazing teaching and understanding. Now, it may not be the exact same thing, uh, of course, but it seems like a a terminology that's particularly right for the day, you know what I mean, for when we're living right now. Absolutely. I've studied the history of feminism a lot, (laughs) and it's been very interesting to see, you know, feminism has been around for a long time, since the late 1800s. And it's really only been since the 1960s and 70s through the sexual revolution that feminism has really gone off track (laughs) in the sense that we have separated power and our femininity. We feel like Mm. as women, we need to leave our femininity behind. We need to not be fertile. We need to not have families in order to get ahead. We need to abandon our very core nature of womanhood, which is to cultivate life. That as women, that's our calling as we live out the feminine genius. And 
now it's been very interesting in the last just couple of years. I think the pandemic has had a lot to do with this, where we really see women wanting to live a more integrated lifestyle within the culture. I think as Catholics, we have an opening there. We're able to say, hey, yes, you want to live a more integrated life. That's what we're trying to do as Catholics. We're you know, believe in openness to life. We believe in the feminine genius. We believe we're made for God, that we're also meant to share our gifts and talents in ways that work for our family. As I mentioned, uh, work in my mind looks very flexible now that we have the ability to work from home and women have more opportunities to open businesses. Um, Based on a 2022 survey um, by the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor, an estimated 274 million women are globally involved in business startups as of 2020. Yes. So obviously, this is something that's really been put on women's heart, whether they recognize it or not, to continue cultivating life, not only within them themselves, their homes, their communities, but also taking that a step further through entrepreneurship. And and what do you think are like, what's the gravitational pull around thinking about feminism in a way or this femininity, feminine genius in the incorrect way? In other words, you said, you know, a couple things you said, you said <clears throat> either kind of putting off or foregoing entirely, you know, uh, the creation of life or having a family or some of these things that, you know, women in business, particularly the higher you get in the sort of hierarchy, the more so those things tend to be the case, not always the case, but tend to be the case. And I've certainly worked with a lot of women who fall into that category, but in a way it's like, you're kind of battling your own nature, right. And your own desires. And it can lead Mm -hmm. to a lot of issues and tribulation for a lot of women. Again, not all of them, but a lot of them. What is the, I don't know, the attraction, the the sort of um, the trappings that exist that that maybe tell women in a purely secular setting, this is the way to do it, mm-hmm. um, even though, you know, you as a student of this subject and as a, as a leader and a woman yourself kind of recognize something different. Like, what are those things that kind of keep you in, in that sort of track that probably is not leading you to the greatest amount of joy and happiness anyway? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. One of my goals with Ringlet, my company, and Catholic Women in Business is to be a bridge between the church and the culture. I want to build a truly pro-life culture. And the way to do that, I believe, is by giving women more resources and access to those resources to make motherhood a possibility and a physical motherhood possibility. Because as mm. women, we're all called to motherhood, whether it's spiritual or um physical. Sure. Yeah. But motherhood's really hard. And I think sometimes the pro-life movement, we forget to say that out front. Pregnancy mm. and motherhood is is extremely difficult. It's a it's the greatest joy. I am um, 36 weeks pregnant right now. I'm about to give birth to my second. I awesome. have a one-year-old and it has been the greatest two years of my life and definitely the most difficult and challenging and stretching. And so I think when we start with that idea that um, we need to recognize um, the reality of physical motherhood in this present day, we can then move forward with getting creative of how Mm. to make motherhood more accessible to women. Because the women that I've talked to who are in this predicament, as as you're alluding to, which is you know, they're putting off motherhood physically. Um, They feel like they are maybe in a um, pregnancy that was not expected and they just don't know the path forward. We've been sold this um, bill of goods in the culture that as women, you can put off pregnancy until your forties and pregnancy and fertility is just a menu. You just decide what sex of the baby you want, how you want to have a baby when you want, and it just happens. And I think we as a culture are realizing that's not how it works. Fertility is not a menu. It is very complicated. And um, therefore, I think a lot of women get to their 40s are very successful and are thinking like, what was all of this for? Yeah. Why, why did I put so much effort into my career? Again, they're looking for a much more integrated lifestyle. So I think as Catholics giving them this approach 
to femininity, which is being open to life in all sense of the word, right? Um, Cultivating life within your family and community, within um, having children, that we can be that bridge between the church and the culture through our vocation to business. I think the same thing exists for guys too. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with men, usually between age 40 and 50, where there's this like weird reckoning that happens. Mm. And mm-hmm. and people, you know, I, you have these conversations about, oh my gosh, I spent the last dozen years basically in the air and right. I missed the soccer games and whatever and yada yada. And I kind of wonder what it was all for. And in other cases, you know, with far more visible damage to things, like I, I know so many men who have suffered the loss of their, their marriages, mm-hmm. who are estranged from their kids, who have developed every order of health problem. So even though they're not, you know, physically, um, you know, generating life in the same way that women do. Nevertheless, that moment, that idea of like, what was this all for Mm. is, is, um, you know, it hits them. And I think one of the things that men in that situation certainly was a case for me that was instructive to kind of coming to that moment or hopefully seeing that moment even earlier is the example of other people, right? So when people look at you as an example, it's like, here you are CEO of your own company, you started another organization because you didn't have enough to do. And then now you've got, you know, you've got one, one child already here with us, another one on the way. You've got a husband who's got, you know, a job and is doing all, all kinds of stuff. And here you are actually doing this, living this reality. And I got to imagine that that in and of itself, reference models, right? Seeing somebody else living that integrated life is probably chief among the things that inspires people to the fact that they could do something similar. Mm. Thank you for saying that. It's very humbling. Yes, it's not easy. Um, <laughs> I think it's constant discernment when I get that feedback from people. That is um, how I say we get it done. <laughs> That's how it happens. Right. Um, sure. My husband and I have gone through a lot of different seasons of life from law school to starting a business to running in a different business because every six months within a startup, you're looking at a different, at a different business because everything evolves quickly. Um, to having our first child, to getting pregnant with our second. And everything is a constant discernment, like month mm. to month. And that's what, um, again, being, going back to being pro-life and being open to life within um, NFP, that's what we're called to with a natural family planning, right? Is constantly discerning month to month what uh, we should be doing, whether we're um, expanding our family or not. And that really spills over to the rest of our lives that we're discerning how are we best serving our family? How are we best serving each other within our marriage? How are we serving our work communities and our greater family? How do you, are you, uh, how do you deal with, I guess, the difference between setting proper expectations and having guardrails and being overly compartmentalized? Right. In other words, just to kind of tease that out, I know it's a big one, that's why I'm asking you. Hopefully you can show me how to do it. Um, But, you know, on one side of the equation, you've got this notion of, you know what, let's just use Sunday. That's the easy one, right? Mm. Sunday is one of God's God's top 10, right? Take it easy, Mm. relax, make it be different, hold the Sabbath, honor it in a different way than you do the other days of the week. All good. And what that means from a practical purpose is that if you can, we're really not supposed to work, right? So that's like an easy one where you can, okay, there's some guardrails there, some limitations. And of course, they apply elsewhere, right? If, you, if you're at, with your kid at the doctor's office and you get that phone call, right. it's got to wait, right? So there's that. But the kind of flip side of that coin, at least in my experience, can also be used as a little bit of a weapon, you know, by the enemy of our souls if we mm-hmm. end up compartmentalizing too strictly where it's like, okay, now I'm Elise, the CEO, now I'm mom, now I'm this, and then that that type of compartmentalization also can have its drawbacks, right, and kind of mm-hmm. be, a, be a, an obstacle to the integration that you just described. How do you, how do you work through that? Yes. I'll first off by say, <laughs> I'll start by saying... My lifestyle looks very fluid right now. I work from home. So yes, I do often float between being a mom, coming back and sitting down to my computer and joining a meeting and having to put the CEO hat on, or I'm running to do dishes, you know, in between meetings or throwing in a load of laundry 
to be a homemaker. So being a wife, homemaker, and mom and sister all looks very blended (laughs) right now. It's very fluid. I think what is helpful, I know this sounds like such a, um, such a Catholic answer, but it's honestly the Eucharist. (laughs) That's the only way that I could say integrated. I have, um, a deep devotion to the Eucharist and, and daily mass. And that is the way that I'm able to show up in each of this, these situations as Elise. And I'm still learning my identity, right? That's something that greatly shifted uh, when I had my first, I'm sure it will when I have my second, um, sure. and just in different seasons of life, you're always discovering who the Lord's calling you to be in that season. So constant, again, constant discernment um, and staying close to the Eucharist um, has been extremely helpful. On a practical level, I have a lot of help. And I think sometimes women really shy away of saying that. I have a nanny. I do. <laughs> I have mm-hmm. someone um, who I'm grateful is my cousin. Uh, so she you know, is family and able to watch our one-year-old right now. Um, but I have her help um, three days a week. And I have, um, right now we're living with family, so I have additional help. And uh, as as birth approaches, I've been able to do less and less around the house. So my husband has done a tremendous amount of work. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So admitting um, that we cannot do it all. My mentor likes to say we, c- we can do it all as women, but not all at the same time. And I really try to remember that. There's a couple things there that I'd love to tease apart. One of them is um, this idea of a mentor, right? And in a Christian context, a lot of times we have a variety of these these permutations, right? You've got spiritual directors, you've got mm-hmm. like sort of life coaches or mentors or that kind of thing. But the idea of being able to bounce things off of somebody else who is similarly grounded in the faith is crucial to, in my opinion, to anything having to do with... Um, living an integrated life in a professional context, like absolutely crucial. And frankly, very often not accessed, even by like people who you think should know better, right? I heard a stat, and I won't say who told me, but somebody who would know, okay, <laughs> in in uh, in a very large diocese who told me that roughly half of the priests don't have spiritual direction. Mm. And it was a little bit scandalous to me to hear that because I'm, you know, sometimes I still have to wrestle with the fact that I'm not like, you know, 12 years old coming up a Catholic. And so when I hear things like that, I'm like, whoa, what's going on? (laughs) But, but the reality of it is that's a huge gift that's unrealized, right? Mm. Um, But in the combination of religion, uh, living an integrated religious or a Catholic life and business, I just think it's super crucial to have, you know, the secular world knows it as mentors, but, uh, uh, you know, step beyond that. Somebody who's a mentor going to teach you how to do the thing or show you how to do how they do whatever they do. But in addition to that, is similarly grounded in a worldview that looks at the transcendent, that understands God exists. Like that is massive, massively Mm. important. Yes, I'll start by saying it took me years to find a mentor. And I was looking for someone who was very specific in that she was a woman, she had family, she was still married and had children and had scaled a multi-million dollar company. I found one woman within about eight years of searching. Wow. I'll call her out. Her name's Christine Rich. And I know you're familiar nice. with the Rich family. Sure. And she is just wonderful and willing to reach her hand out and help me <laughs> help me with all the things. She was one of the first people that I told that I was um, pregnant again last fall. And she just has such a gift for empathy and relating and really understanding where I'm coming from. But I would like to say to the w- women listening, I, I know your frustration if you're having a hard time finding women mentors. We at Catholic Women Business are trying to figure out and format for a mentorship program. But if I could also say to the women who are maybe 40 years plus, um, who are Catholic and have worked in any capacity or run a business in any capacity, women are behind you um, in their 20s and 30s and are starved for mentorship. And please take that to prayer if you feel even an inkling on your heart to be a mentor. It doesn't have to be formal. It could be something as simple as getting together once a month or four times a year. 
to just talk. Women just want to talk and feel heard and feel like they're not alone. It's really difficult to have so much on your plate and feel like you're the only one who is not getting a quote, quote, right. And is trying to figure out how to make it all happen. Amen to that. Preach it. I mean, I can tell you, obviously I'm not a woman, but I can tell you just by the number of women that I come in contact with who are looking for that type of uh, mentorship. Um, this is something that kind of surprised me in a way because, you know, in the corporate world, the mentor mentee thing in, in a lot of cases, particularly if you're working in a large company is more like woven into the way that the company operates. So you almost mm -hmm. don't see it. It's sort of like a, it's like an HR practice or, right. or something like that. But when I left the corporate world, and especially after I was ordained, just it's like, you know, the, the expression of folks coming out of the woodwork. And now to this day where I probably have a half a dozen, I'm not kidding you, mentor-mentee interactions on a given week. And I, I, they're not by design. Wow. It's just like, you know, folks who are like, hey, can you talk about, you know, X, Y, Z? And a lot of those are women. And this is the, the, the sentiment you just shared comes up all the time, which is like, I just wish that I could you know, find somebody who's got that sort of worldview, that experience, and who's at a different season in their life who that who I can, you know, interact with. It's It definitely is missing. So this, the term starving is an advised one, but a true one, nevertheless. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think there is some mentorship for women right out of college. I found it easier right out of college to find that mentorship. And as, as I've grown in marriage and family and business, it's been definitely a little more difficult. But if we can get creative as Catholic women, I know we can figure out a way to make this more mobilized. Sure. And we have to be entrepreneurial too, like you've mm -hmm. been, right? It's like you see the opportunity that the old saw is, you know, if you're looking everywhere and you can't find it, maybe God's calling you to do it. I mean, that's mm -hmm. maybe very applicable here, right? Because women have so much to give, especially those who have, you know, had that type of career and can impart some of that to, to other women. Um, definitely is an opportunity. The other thing, at least that you said, which was interesting, going back to like compartments versus guardrails, right? Mm -hmm. um, you talked about how your husband's picking up more slack and how your cousin's helping out and all this other stuff, which, and I appreciate what you said, which is like, hey, it's okay, I have a nanny. Like, I, I appreciate some of the stigma that's attached in that, which we can even talk about just that. But <laughs> the other thing, the other interesting point that you brought up is the importance of community, right? Which mm -hmm. is like having people, nobody does anything alone, right? No man no. is an island. I mean, that's just true. And, but, but I think we have this sense of, you know, looking at other people helping us in our journey as a transaction, like, oh, I'm paying somebody to do something or a freelance kind of gig. But that is like a very cheap kind of counterfeit to what real community actually is and how needed it is in order for us to get from A to Z. Like we need other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Raising children as a mother alone has only been in our cultural ethos since the 1950s. Before Crazy. then. Well, yes, it's a very short period of time. My great grandmother did not raise six children on her own. She had her mother, her sister, her neighbors. And I've been very blessed to be able to live with family. That was not even something that was on my radar six months ago. And it will only be for about a year. So we'll figure it out after that. But um, we, I think I always knew that I was called to work as my husband and I discerned marriage and family. And again, we're discerning season to season. But what that work looks like, I knew that I was going to need help. And I think even if it's five hours a week, it's really helpful to get a mother's helper, something, some form of help in there so that as a mom, you can refocus, get any chores done that you need to, errands run, just having those few hours a week can be extremely helpful. And, and taking off the shame of that, I think as Catholic women, we want again to do it all and be the perfect homemaker. And even if you're not working, you know, being the perfect wife and mom, and it's just not possible. Take off that guilt. Where, where, where does the, where does the shame come from? Mm. Honestly, I found it within and without the church. I mm. think, um, within the church, there is a stigma around working moms and that if you're, if you're a working mom, you're not spending enough time with your children. If you are stay at home, you're not 
producing for the family in a monetary sense that's more mm. within the culture so you can't it's like a lose-lose situation you're going to have shame or guilt put on you whatever way you know whatever way you go you decide and i've actually found that it's i put it on myself more than anything because it is a sacrifice for the whole family for me to be working i was in um, Washington, D.C. for meetings last week for three days. I was gone from the family and everyone in the household had to step up so that I could do that. And I recognize that that, like I said, is a sacrifice for my family, for Ringlet, for my career, for a company and the client that we're working on. So it was, yeah, it's a constant discernment. I think I could go on and on with you about this topic, but it comes from it comes from several points of view. I think within the church, I, it's kind of like in the water, you know, more yeah. than anything. It's like on mom blogs, on Instagram, on conversations. Like I, I mentioned before, the um, playdates is really a stickler for me. It's a pain point for me. I can't figure, you know, play um, a lot of playdates within my parish are. Like I mentioned at like 10 a.m. on Tuesdays. I'm like, yeah, I can't do can't that. Do could, that. We do eight, could we do eight o'clock? That would be a lot easier. Uh, we could make that work. But it's um, it's those little things, which I know it sounds really silly, like a play date sounds small, but it goes a long way when people are willing to understand your lifestyle and what the Lord's called you to. It's not mm. selfish to work as women. I think if the Lord, I, I felt very called to this line of work through ringlet and catholic women in business and that's the way the lord's intended me to exist and work right now well, it's it's the bigger point of the importance of business as a mission field too right, right? i mean i think it's like it, we could go back you know even 50 years maybe but certainly go back 100 and if you were telling me i really want to start this business I, i'd be looking at you and like well that's interesting but gee, we've got a lot of other things that I think we could bring your gifts to bear on. Um, mm. But today, and in particular in this country, and this is something that people who know me and know this show have heard, but especially in our country, and the amount of influence that business has on this country and consequently on the rest of the world, it's, it's, almost, it's almost irresponsible to say, we're not going to bring the gospel to bear in that world, mm. in that sector, mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's almost like it's almost sinful in a way to say like we're just gonna those business people we're just gonna leave them alone they're gonna figure out right. Jesus some other way you know what I mean <laughs> because it's just so big and it's so prominent and there's so much influence that's borne out on the rest of the planet that it just you get this like added value when you do something meaningful there do you know what I mean right yes I really didn't see this perspective until a couple of years when I started Ringlet I began the company because I saw a need within the market to provide excellent marketing services to women-owned businesses so that they could scale and impact their communities and their families with the growth of their company. And I think that as the business has grown, as Catholic Women in Business has grown, I have delved more into the mission of business. We are Catholic business owners at Ringlet, my partner, Claire, and I. However, we work with clients that have all different types of backgrounds. Sure. We have team members who come from all different religions. And I really made that a very specific choice that it was not going to be Ringlet, you know, Catholic. Right. The Catholic marketing brand. company. Right, right. Exactly. Right. Because I felt called to be that salt and light in the yeah. world that through our excellent work, through how we treat each other, through our company's mission and our values that we could bring Christ to the people who normally wouldn't encounter him. And it's very humbling to be that vehicle through, you know, through business um, and bringing that uh, profound encounter with Christ to others. At least that's what we're striving for. If I were to ask you, like an interaction that you've had with somebody um mm. non non-catholic by yeah. through the course of your work as a ceo of ringlet 
that was interesting to you or stood out to you as as a moment that maybe the Holy Spirit was giving you both access to? Mm-hmm. What can you think? What can you think about? Yes, one of our values at Ringlet is that we are obsessed with the moment when a woman begins to dream bigger. Mm. And I've seen this over and over again when we work on businesses with women. We do a lot of business strategy as well. And we present to them a what if. What if you do reach that million dollar mark? What if you're able to expand your team? What if you're able to expand your market? And we're able to push them a little bit to realizing that they can dream bigger. And once they see that vision and they say yes to it, there's this magical moment where they recognize their own dignity and they recognize um, in a deeper sense the power of their feminine genius and the fact that they have so much to offer through their feminine genius, that their gifts and talents have a place within the world. That is where I see a really profound Mm. mindset shift for women and um, a really neat encounter with their own feminine genius. That dignity one's a big one, too. My wife um, is a convert. She came into the church in 2008, and one of the big drivers for her, not she's not a professional uh, background, but one of the big drivers for her was coming into contact with this idea of dignity and, and mm-hmm. kind of realizing, you know, wait a minute, I'm... You know, the way that she put it early on was, I'm a little piece of God, you know, Um, I'm made in Mm. his image and likeness. It was wild, right? For her, that just that whole concept as a non, you know, Catholic was, was so interesting to deal with. I think that that's broadly you know, missing a lot in, in sort of secular understanding of the person. And you can see evidence of it everywhere. But, you know, especially in kind of professional settings where, you know, people don't take that moment to realize how wonderfully made they are mm. and how, you know, the, the virtue of magnanimity, which is, you know, you're made for greatness. Not only were you made wonderfully, but you're made for something great. And then mm-hmm. Jesus saying, you think this is good. You're going to do things even greater than me. It's like crazy, right? All this craziness. Um, yes. But like coming into contact with that idea of dignity, it, like you said, can kind of open yourself up, open that kind of imagination exactly. to, to, to what's possible. And how does that land for women? I mean, I guess it depends on who they are, but like, say, say a, somebody who's not, not Catholic, do, do have you like, has that happened where you, you, you kind of get somebody at that point and they're like, what is this? Mm. I ha- I can't say I have any conversions. <laughs> no one said, no one said to me, Oh, we're Catholic now. Um, but we had a moment last month when we were delivering our strategy session to a ringlet client. So strategy sessions are when we go into a deep dive into a client's uh, business and marketing strategy. And our copy editor and strategist was reading to the client, the about page that she had written for the client. And our clients started crying because it was really? the first time that she had heard her story read back to her and encapsulated mm. in such a beautiful way. She was like, wow, I did not believe, I, I didn't realize how much work I've done and how much I've accomplished mm. and how much my vision for my life has come to fruition. And yeah, it's just, it was a really beautiful, profound moment That's beautiful, um, of her encountering sure. her dignity. Yeah. And giving somebody permission to experience that, right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, clearly you sit there and trudge along and go from A to yes. B, and then suddenly you have this moment, and it's like, wow, revelation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you talk about, like, I haven't converted anybody, but the reality of it is, is conversion is, like, 24-7 till we mm-hmm. die, right? And mm-hmm. it's a process, but you, but that is a seed. That's definitely a seed. And then, you know, God gives the growth, and then from there, you know, hopefully other things um, spring. I had um, probably about, I don't know, three weeks ago, and I won't again share who, but I had this interaction with somebody who is, this is a guy, but a CEO, big time producer type, okay? Like making content and all this other stuff, award winning and yada yada. Raised Catholic, but has been away from his faith for like 20 years. Oh, wow. And he has a son who is about to graduate high school. And the realization that his son 
can enter adulthood without a faith has been like crushing to this guy at a, mm-hmm. at a really deep level. And by the way, I like I, I wasn't even there to talk to him about any of this, right? That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit when it happens. It's like, oh, cool, I have an opportunity here. So, but but we're literally talking. And as, as we're having this conversation, I'm like, well, okay, well, tell me more about that. Well, why was that? And how come you feel that way? Mm-hmm. And literally by the time we get to the end of this thing, this guy is bawling, like oh bawling gosh. on the couch at the, at, you know, kind of this thing we talked about earlier, at this realization that this is so important to me that my child have faith, even though I don't, right? And I feel all the guilt and shame associated with not having brought him up this way. And what does it mean for me? And am I a good father? I mean, like this whole thing. And it was really, really interesting. But, you know, my great hope was that just like you with this woman, that moment um, was an opportunity, right? That the Holy Spirit was just planting in that room at that moment. But it would have never happened, Elise, if like we weren't trying to do a business deal, right? So, right, right. And, and that's the beauty of this thing. It is really the mission field. Definitely. And I like to say that um, business is built on vulnerability. And um, vulnerability builds relationships and relationships build business. Mm. And so I found that the more vulnerable I am actually with my clients. And, you know, there's always boundaries and lines, so I'm not, you know, oversharing, but when I'm vulnerable with my clients, they have the space to be vulnerable as well. And that really allows for a conversation that perhaps wouldn't happen in a different business setting. You actually told me, I think, that you you call yourself an evangelist for vulnerability. Do I have that? Do (laughs) I have that wrong? Do I remember? Yes. Yeah. That's yes, you're totally right. I think that's something uh, within our company that we've been trying to integrate as far as uh, within our team members and then giving them our team members permission to do that with clients as well. Yeah, well, it's also really disarming. You know, we hear we hear a lot of um, a lot being made right now about authenticity and being genuine and all those things. And those are true and they're good things. But they're kind of like a byproduct of vulnerability in a way, right? It's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it's like, here I am. This is who I am. You know, this happened. The opposite of this is the imposter syndrome, right? Which is like super per, uh, prevalent in mm-hmm. professional circles. I assume it's maybe even particularly strong for women. I don't know. You could tell me. But this notion that, oh, I'm in a room where I can't let on that I may not know something about Mm -hmm. what we're talking about, right? Or I have this job, but the reality of it is, is there's no way I can really run this thing the way that they want, right? I'm I'm a fraud. There's all all this kind of like, you know, imposter syndrome that sets in, particularly in the entrepreneurial space. Um, But the opposite of that is this spirit of vulnerability, right? Where you, where you can have a discussion with somebody and saying, listen, you know, there's some things I know, there's a lot that I don't, and I'm ready to learn, right? It's like, it's bizarre. It's, it's disarming, right? And it, it, it really does strike as being very genuine, being very authentic. And I think that's why people respond to it so well. Mm. Obviously the vulnerable part of the vulnerability is you're taking a risk and letting people know you're vulnerable, right? You're like, uh, you're opening yourself up to it, but it can be, I think a real strong conduit to, to, to have having strong, healthy relationships with people. Absolutely. On the line of Ringlet being a conduit for a pro-life, more pro-life culture at Ringlet, when we are more vulnerable, when I'm vulnerable with clients, when I'm vulnerable with my team, it gives everyone permission to bring their full selves to work and to Mm. the conversation. I think one of the biggest preventatives, what the word is that I wasn't looking for. But one of the difficulties in creating a pro-life culture is that we don't allow one another to lean um, and be a a quote, like burden to one another. Mm, We feel like if I'm having a headache, I can't tell my team member because that I can't get on this call because it's going to push back a deadline or blah, blah, blah. And when we first, when we start putting people first, we again can build that pro-life culture. I think uh, um, pregnancy has been a really big lesson in this. I've been either pregnant or postpartum for two years, and that has affected me mentally and spiritually and physically. And my team has been a part of that. It's not something that I've hidden from them. It's 
you know, me showing up sometimes meetings being like, yeah, I'm not prepared because I was just throwing up or putting (laughs) my daughter to bed or whatever it may be. And that I think is embracing the full person, right? Mm. Where we're able to bring our full selves to, to business. Well, nobody can ever accuse you of not knowing what's going on for sure. Um, (laughs) You know, if you're, if you're, if you're honest and straightforward and vulnerable, no, that's super, super good. And there's a ton there that I think hopefully people can draw from and take from. Now, Elise, I'm also conscious because we've been talking about all this stuff that you're probably, you know, have something scheduled coming up, so I won't keep (laughs) you much, much longer. But before, before we get to our, um, our last segment, Wait What? I did want to ask, um, obviously we've talked about Ringlet and we've talked about uh, your organization, uh, Catholic Women in Business, but if you were to share with folks um, how they could you know, kind of get in touch, track your work, understand the things that you're up to, like what would you tell them? How would people you know, follow Elise? How would people know the things that you care about and are, and are important to you? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram, Elise Crawford Gallagher. There's those two last names. <laughs> yep. No um, hyphen. And then you, <laughs> no hyphen. And then you can also follow Ringlet on Instagram that handles Ringlet Studio. And you can go to our website, uh, ringletstudio.com. You can also find Catholic Women in Business. That's on Instagram all written out. And then catholicwomeninbusiness.org is our website. We publish three articles a week um, managed by our amazing managing editor, Taryn DeLong. And she uh, works with our writers who produce some amazing articles as far as topics uh, that range from how to rewrite your contract or work with clients to... um, spirituality and how to integrate business and faith. We'll include all of that information in the show notes so people can avail themselves of everything that's going on. And there's quite a bit going on mm-hmm. um, with you. So uh, so that's great. And, and Elise, as I think I mentioned to you before, but you know, my great uh, prayer for the continued prosperity of everything that you're doing. And I really do believe that having women like you who are vulnerable, who are equipped, who are leaders, who are mothers, who are wives, out there for the entire world to see is probably the best way <laughs> to encourage people um, about this vocation and this way of life and how to do it um, with sincerity and with clarity. So I appreciate that you're out there, and I hope you inspire a lot of women, uh, young and older, to do the same. Thank you so much. I appreciate that a lot. Awesome. Elise, you ready to play Wait What? I am so ready. All right, let's do it. So we're going to start with a fill-in-the-blank question. And as you probably know, and I think you should know because I actually got this from your website, but St. Margaret Clitheroe is the patroness of business women. I know you're already like, you're already like cringing because you're going (laughs) to ask you the one thing you don't know. Exactly. So St. Margaret Clitheroe, patroness of business women, was a convert to the faith. And in her life, she actually provided safe harbor to priests during the Reformation because turns out England had outlawed Catholic priests and charged them with treason a capital offense. So unless they left the country or took an oath of allegiance to the queen, they could be killed, and many were. For assisting the priests who remained, St. Margaret spent time in prison and was eventually martyred in a very gruesome way, which I'm not going to go into. But anyway, what many people don't know, Elise, is that St. Margaret spent so much time in prison that she actually was forced to blank behind bars. Oh my gosh. Give birth. Give birth. Absolutely. Correct. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) (laughs) Nice work. Everybody is now proud because it was an article on your site. So uh, so that's that's very good. Good job. All right. Batting a thousand. Here we go. Next question. Multiple choice. Elise, which of these is false about your hometown of Baltimore, Maryland? Is it A, the Ouija board was invented by a Baltimore native? Yikes. I was going to say, that's not great. (laughs) Is it is it B, iconic rapper Tupac Shakur and actors Jada Pinkett Smith and Ed Norton all attended the same Baltimore high school? Or is it C, the great jazz singer Ella Fitzgerald was born in Baltimore? Which of those is false, Elise? My siblings who know Baltimore history so well are going to be disappointed with me <laughs> when I get this wrong. Well, you got a 33% chance. I, I'm going to say is not correct, was not. Uh, what, I think what is false? False is C. 
You are correct again. Okay, great. <laughs> there actually was a really great jazz singer, but her name was Billie Holiday, Holiday. who was born yeah. in Baltimore, not Ella Fitzgerald. I think she's a New Yorker. Um, but yeah, but it does turn out that the Ouija board was first invented and marketed Yikes. by Charles Kennard of Baltimore. <laughs> Pulled together a group of four other investors to create the whole company around this one product. So go figure. And it's also true that Tupac Shakur, Jada Pinkett Smith of recent notoriety, and Ed Norton uh, all attended the Baltimore School for the Arts. Oh, neat. So there you go. Yes, yeah. it's a nationally known school. Yeah, so it turns out uh, some interesting folks with some great talent. All right, mm-hmm. so last question, Elise. And fans of the show know there's always a time machine question. So here it goes. <laughs> I know that you're a fan of the theater. So your time machine question takes this fact into special consideration. And it's a tough one, Elise. So get oh, ready. Goodness. You Well, you're, you're doing perfect. So, you know, we, <laughs> we got to, like, throw a curveball here. So you get a chance to travel back in time to the ancient city of Alexandria in Egypt in the year 200. And there you meet... The great theologian Clement of Alexandria. Mm. Engaging in conversation with him about Christianity and other subjects, you quickly pick up on a disdain for theater. He tells you, quote, and this is a real quote, he tells you, quote, dramatic compositions are nonsense and empty and would only lead to human misery. Christ is the real eternal truth in the theater of the universe. Christians don't serve two masters, so they must maintain distance from theater, which doesn't serve Christ. Wow. A real theater hater, Elise. Seriously. What, what if anything, do you share with St. Clement of Alexandria to prevail on him that theater can actually be a good thing? The first thing that came to mind was um, Pope John the... Uh, no, sorry. Pope... Um, Oh my goodness. Pope John Paul II was a great theater geek <laughs> and writer. Um, gosh, that's a really difficult question. Um, that, but I, would I told say, you it'd be tough. Um, the theater can be a great expression of truth in beauty, right? We're trying to pursue tr- truth, beauty, and goodness. And I think the theater can be a great expression of, of beauty. Nice. I think you would prevail on him, although I'm not sure how you're, uh, I guess you'd be sp- speaking this in Greek. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see how <laughs> My good husband your Greek, Greek is. I do not. There you go. <laughs> I think it would have been Greek, right? I mean, it was, it was, uh, Egypt, but I think uh, they all spoke Greek back then, at least, uh, you know, among strangers anyway, but uh, great job. <laughs> Obviously you get that one correct perfect all three Elise you batted a thousand and that's rare on this show so congratulations job (laughs) well done and once again what a privilege to have you on the show we wish you all the very best and we'll be praying for you from the sidelines Elise thank you so much Deacon Charlie And if you're listening to our voices, folks, that means it's time to subscribe and please share this episode, especially with a woman who might need the benefit of this conversation about business and leadership and the vocation of motherhood and being a wife all wrapped into it, as Elise has demonstrated. So we wish you all very well. and We'll see you again next time on Living the Call. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's call-usa.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Castan and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.